Like many people, the first true crime podcast I listened to was Serial, and the next one after that was Teacher's Pet. Both were pop cultural phenomenons which I was keen to participate in and experience. Personally, I gravitate towards pop culture, interviews, sports and current events, but never wanted to go down the rabbit hole of true crime. Murder and horror? It's just not for me. But am I missing out? Why is this genre so popular? Jules, you don't mind a bit of true crime, eh? Yeah, I'd been listening to podcasts for a while. I was a bit of a wannabe stand-up and a sports nut, so my core texts were What the Fuck with Mark Maron and The BS Report with Bill Simmons. But I had started to see a ton of memes about Serial, and everyone was generally going nuts for it. So without too much more information, I decided to give it a go and was instantly hooked. I couldn't believe that this was seemingly happening in real time. Each episode got a little bit closer to the truth, but then raised even more questions. The presentation style was warts and all, and I thought I was on the mission with Sarah and the gang. Through the audience, new information was also coming to the surface, and it felt like we were actually active in solving this thing. There was also an array of shows talking about the show, so there was an industry developing around it, which also amazed me. People who previously thought an audio medium might be limiting were suddenly realising the expanse of stories that could be told. The fuse was lit, and this was about to blow up. So what is it about true crime and podcasts that's such a perfect blend? What better place to start in the finalists from the Australian Podcast Awards from this year? Over the next five episodes of Behind the Podcast, Jules and I will talk to the people behind Chilled is the Full Story, Nut Jobs, Last Voyage of the Pong Sioux, and Unravel. But what about you? Why do you listen to true crime? Are you a true crime junkie? Or are you just wondering what all the fuss is about? Is it because you have a genuine interest in solving crimes? Or do you have a fascination with the macabre? Either way, you're not alone. We've seen the Serial podcast hit 50 million downloads and the Teacher's Pet podcast with its host and protagonist, Hedley Thomas, providing police with breakthrough evidence that ultimately led to Chris Dawson's arrest. So when did this rise begin? Like us, a lot of people look back to 2014 and the hit podcast Serial. Host Sarah Koenig investigated the murder of Haymin Lee, an 18-year-old Baltimore high school student. Seemingly coming from nowhere, Serial went on to be downloaded over 340 million times. You couldn't go to a party anywhere without someone asking you if you'd heard of Serial. This put true crime podcasts on the map, but also established the podcast in mainstream media. In November of 2014, Serial was the fastest podcast ever to reach 5 million downloads on Apple. The next month, the podcast recorded 40 million downloads. This stunning growth birthed the term, The Serial Effect. Since Serial, podcasting in the US has grown exponentially and led to other hits like Dirty John and Atlanta Monster. Australia's had its fair share of hits as well. Aussie podcasts such as Who the Hell is Hamish, Case File and Phoebe's Fall have all entered the Australian mainstream in their own rights. Journalist Hedley Thomas and producer Slade Gibson famously won the 2018 Gold Walkley Award for The Teacher's Pet. This instantly raised credibility for podcasts as a legitimate medium and inspired many a journalist to seek out their own podcast project. So why are we obsessed with the true crime genre? Experts say that there are a range of influences which have shaped our obsession for true crime. From our fascination with evil, to our desire to solve mysteries and the adrenaline rush we experience from being exposed to gruesome content. You can trace the popularity of true crime content back at least as far as Charles Dickens in the 1800s. We now have a vast inventory of shows, books and podcasts to seek our teeth into. But with true crime podcasts only rising to fame in 2014, why is it so popular on podcasts over other forms of media? A, it's sound, and there's an old theory about an enlightenment and saying, 
you can close your eyes, but it's not really possible to close your ears. So, you know, sound is always something that's immediate. It goes into your head quite literally. So you cannot really block it out like that. That was Dr. Benjamin Nickel, a cultural studies researcher and professor at the University of Sydney. The second reason is that the podcast medium makes it a very singular and personal experience. It's like a guilty pleasure thing, but you do it on your own. You don't usually read them in groups. It becomes a very private thing. So if you read them, consume them, and you experience it like it's your own experience. So it's like a secondhand experience, but it's not like in the cinema with like a thousand people next to you watching. You don't have to share the experience. You know, that fear is yours. And there might be a million people reading or hearing that podcast, but it's your experience. So people talk about it like more like, you know, I just heard this. I just listened. So, you know, and that is, I think, more of like, this is my fear or my experience of it. Let me tell you about it, which in a cinema or TV, TV setting with Netflix, you kind of assume lots of people have seen it. You know, there's nothing really new to talk about. So this format has proven to be very personable. Based on Dr. Nichols' insights, it seems audio is a perfect medium for this genre of storytelling. Let's have a look at some examples. Jules, in my mind, the stereotypical true crime podcast opens with a missing body or a murder. Well, wasn't I wrong? Next, we'll hear from four of the best who are all finalists for Best True Crime Podcast at the Australian Podcast Awards. Here's a sneak peek of their interviews, which will roll out over the coming episodes, each taking us behind their podcast and the step they took to bring their show to life. Unravel, Snowball. We talked to ABC Podcast executive producer Ian Walker. The Unraveled True Crime Snowball podcast chronicles how Ollie Ward's brother's whirlwind romance with a Californian con woman ends up costing his family over $1 million. The series follows Ollie from suburban New Zealand to an international investigation spanning the UK and the US to uncover the world of con artist Leslie Mnuchin. We experience her lavish lifestyle, romances and broken promises in exotic locations to soon realise that Ollie's family is just one piece of the bigger jigsaw. To put these pieces together, Ollie sets out to track down Leslie. We chatted with executive producer Ian Walker about producing the Unravel True Crime podcast and how Snowball came about. Unravel Snowball, that's a story about the family of Ollie Ward. How did this story come to yeah, you? Yeah, this, this was a wild one where it just really happened in the, lo- in the lobby, right, in the, the cafe downstairs. I, I'd known Ollie for quite a while because I was, you know, in the podcast space and, he was, and I was going to meetings as when he was the head of Triple J. We got to know each other. I, I, I talked to him for a long time trying to get in his ear about, you know, the Triple J really should be doing podcasts, man. Your, your audience, we need your audience. We want your audience. They, they're going to be hungry for podcasts. He didn't listen to me at all <laughs> <But> <laughs> until one day when he really did want to pitch his own podcast, you know. So, And um, he wasn't sure that the story that he had, you know, really was there was a podcast in it. You know, he thought, oh, maybe people are just thinking that that was like a revenge trip for a family, you know, and it because it happened to his family, it was sort of like, yeah, but who else wants to know about that? You know, this thing, weird thing happened to my family and it was pretty bad and yeah. it was pretty weird. And so he told me the bunch of things that happened, which ends up kind of as all the things that he'll tell you in the episode zero trailer for the show. You yeah. know, he told me the thumbnail of what had happened to his brother. I said, what and what and what? And it's like... Oh man, I think you you know you really might have a show there. Like, I don't think you should discount that. And the other thing I knew about Ollie is that, you know, he was the boss of Triple J and he didn't get to do this stuff much anymore. But I knew that he was a naturally born, really good storyteller, and the the, the things that I'd heard him make himself over the years were really top class, and that he had just had this natural knack for, you know, telling stories. 
Uh, and he was, you know, he's got a good with people. And um, and I guess also at that time I was up to, it was sort of almost like that sophomore album problem, you know, that how we're going to top, you know, these really dark stories that we've been doing in Unravel. But this is a true crime, but no one dies. You know, the lead bad person is a woman who's really yeah. canny. She's quite charismatic. People are falling in love with her. She's, you know, done this sort of scam, globetrotting the world. This is really kind of a new take on, on our genre, right? And also that it's, that it's got that big personal investment of having a family that you can get to know who've gone through this traumatic thing and, and kind of stay together. I mean, by the end of the series, you know, I think we had like, you know, probably tens of thousands of people who wanted to adopt the Ward family. You know, they had fans yeah, all over the world. They, warm, they, they really love them, you know, love their very cute Kiwi accents, but more than that, their kind of spirit and the love that they kind of, you know, shared and, and the, the way that they got through it with kind of very good grace. And, you know, there, there wasn't really a revengeful moment, you know, maybe a few moments, but they passed, you know. Why do you think true crime podcasts are so popular? When Julian and I embarked on this journey of talking to all the award winners from true crime in this year's podcast awards, I was apprehensive because I thought we were going down a deep, dark wormhole of, of missing people and cold cases. And it's been fun, entertaining stories the whole way through. Mm. But why do you think true crime is so popular? Well, yeah, it's a good question because I think it's, you know, it's long, long been the most enduring genre in podcast land. And... I think the main basic reason is is that essentially it's like a campfire story, right? You know, it's sort of this happened, then this happened, then this happened. And it's also got a very central, easy premise. It's like who done it, you know, like it can be as simple as that. And and that because you've got such a great driver, people just want to know the answer and they will stick with you. They love the detail. There's a couple of different camps, I think, of listeners when it comes to true crime. You know, there's there's people, he called them the stabbies. And... <laughs> <laughs> and the reason was that they're, they're the people who really love the kind of gory, the goriest details about, you know, really dark, violent crimes. They want to know all about how the body was stabbed that many times. And, you know, the, it's sort of like this vicarious pleasure of I'm so glad that won't happen to me, you know. Exactly I, think right. that's some of, I think that's some of the pleasure of those stories. Um, it's also, I think, wanting to understand, like, the dark side of human nature. I think that's another big driver for, yeah, you know, for horror, for for true crime. I mean, the true crime's been going for so many years as a as a massive sort of TV genre as well. There's about like 30 crime channels in the US, you know, there used to be a few years ago. And now that's sort of transferred to podcasts. There's dozens and dozens of those kind of, I guess, people just retelling details of cold cases as though that version of true crime. I think then there's the other, the other side of it is, you know, documentary investigations. And that's where unravel has been sitting and i think people are eternally kind of attracted to those stories because you if you can dig up something fresh if you can you know solve a cold case or or the promise of solving it you know the, the biggest problem with true crime stories i guess that are unsolved is trying to actually put enough effort into getting an ending you know and that's generally the one thing that people complain about you know when they, they're sort of complaining about true crime they're like, oh no but they they never had an ending for that story, you know. So that that's that is always a challenge, and and I guess then there's the, the the third thing that we've been looking at is actually just trying to mess with the genre or add some other elements to the genre to keep it fresh, you know, or to keep it feeling like it's not stuck in the same rut. Which I guess there's been a, a quite a big change of people's appetite for like dead girls, you know, and like that that 
those violence against women stories are really kind of, you know, difficult to tell now because it's sort of like, you know, is there a new angle on that or is that an old trope? And, you know, there's something kind of purient about the details of sort of young women and bad things happening to them. And I guess that's where, you know, we're all very kind of cognizant of that and not falling into those traps you know but i think the other surprising thing about the true crime audience is that from anecdotally and from some of the data that we have is that like a lot of them are women right and younger women and i think that again that's that precariousness about oh my god i hope that doesn't happen to me and it's something about having felt real danger you know and i've had this told to me by women friends of mine that you know we as blokes don't completely understand how you know feeling vulnerable like that is a real thing and perhaps listening to it in a controlled way that there's some comfort in that you can listen to unravel true crime snowball on the abc listen app or wherever you get your podcasts childers the full story this podcast details the worst arson attack in Queensland history, which saw the Palace Backpackers Hostel in Childers set alight, killing 15 people with the perpetrator sentenced to 20 years imprisonment on arson and two counts of murder. The podcast protagonist, Paul Cochran, covered the original event 20 years ago, so the story is an important one to his life. So, Paul, we'd like to talk about your career pre-Childers. You've worked in TV. We've found a lot of people that have created podcasts that have been in the awards this year, the Australian Podcast Awards, have been people who have a background in TV. It mm. seems to be the, not necessarily the logical stepping stone, but seems to be a great stepping stone. Could yeah. you talk us through a bit of what you did? Yeah, and I think the podcast format's really opened up that, that opportunity to tell a story in a, you know, a broadcast format that doesn't rely on pictures. You know, I, I mean, I guess with Childers, I floated the idea of it being a documentary or you know, some sort of television process, but there's restrictions around that there's you know I, I worked for the network that filmed the, the building on fire you know but they own the pictures so then there's restrictions mm-hmm. around who can broadcast that who can see it you know geography and you know international boundaries around around broadcast pictures and that so the, the podcast format has no international you know boundaries at all you know anyone around the world can listen to it and I found that intriguing just in the analytics around the children's podcast around who's listening and where and, and you know and where it's where it's tracking yeah, I mean, I guess TV gives you that grounding. And actually, when I, I said to the editor who helped me out with the project, I said, look, mate, I actually don't really know what best practice is with piecing together a script, but this is how I'm going to operate. And I'm literally going to steal the way I did it for television, which is my bit, someone else's bit, my bit, someone else's bit. It'll all be scripted out for you. I will take some control over what that starts to look like. And that was a formula that worked. The perpetrator is known for causing the worst arson attack in Queensland. Did you know much about his past before the podcast? I did, but I didn't. I actually didn't really plan. It's the one episode, and that's episode fifteen. It's called Kruger. Oh, it's the one episode that I I made a really judgment call on whether to even include it. There were two. It's predominantly two interviews. It's with his de facto and the de facto's daughter. We had a good conversation on the phone. I felt really different after doing those interviews to what I did. I think I was like a lot of people going. You know, was Robert Long just unlucky in a way, even though I was there? Did he just, he was such an isolated, removed character from normality and from society. Was he just unlucky? Did he just light a fire and it got away from him and didn't mean to kill anyone? Was it like that? And I probably, even while I was in the early stages of doing the podcast, felt that way. After I spoke to Lauren Christine... I completely flipped and thought, no, this guy's a menace to society. He's a deranged psychopath who belongs where he is right now and probably should never be let out. Was there a specific episode where you saw a jump in engagement? It's funny, you know, it, it hit the charts sort of quickly, you know, and I'm only going off the Apple charts. 
I think it might have come in at around 80 or something like that. And the top 200 go up on the charts. It came in and I sort of was like, oh, wow, I'm on the charts. You know, I, I kind of was really, I thought that's a really cool moment. And I remember ringing Zoltan and said, hey, have you, have you seen it? And we realized that the chart seemed to refresh sort of just after seven o'clock at night. And then it disappeared. And then we thought, oh, well, we've had our moment. And then I can't remember, I think it might've been two or three episodes later. I definitely did some national television spots. I did the Today Show because mm-hmm. Carl Stefanovic's in the podcast. And so I spoke to Carl on Today Show and I did Studio 10 and, and obviously talk about Robert Long's appeal. Yeah, he putting his parole application was starting to gather some momentum. So the podcast started to be on people's radar a little bit more. So it had that organic publicity going on. So it did come back into the charts. And I remember it was somewhere around the 37 or something like that. And we thought, oh, wow, that's how good is that? And then it just continued to climb. And I was screenshotting, like every time I'd see it, I was screenshotting. And there's a Facebook group for the podcast and I was posting it to keep people engaged. And then Joe Rogan was number one. And Joe Rogan's obviously one of the biggest players in the world when it comes to podcasts. And I remember we got to number two on the charts. And I said to Zonas, okay, we, we've peaked here. And we kind of came to the, we thought, oh, well, that's it. And then the next day, we, we went to number one. The Childers Podcast can be listened to wherever you access your podcasts. I highly recommend checking it out. Nut jobs, Cracking California's strangest $10 million heist. Mark Fennell, an Audible original. You might know Mark from, well, everything. Radio, TV, podcasts. In his 2019 podcast, It Burns, Mark tried to track down the world's hottest chili. He's now backed that up with nut jobs, cracking California's strangest $10 million heist. This investigates a $10 million heist of truckloads of nuts in California. In the podcast, Mark goes into the rabbit hole of crime syndicates, stolen identities, and private investigators that will change the way you think of food forever. From the farmers and law enforcement, truckers and transport companies, into the plight of undocumented workers. We talked to Mark about Nutjobs and how he got the podcast up and running. So, Nutjobs is a series that I made for Audible uh, late last year that came out this year. And it turns out that over a course of a couple of months, there was about $10 million worth of nuts stolen from the state of California. And when I first heard about this, my first reaction was, I'm sorry, what? And I do this thing every once in a while that I just get sucked into a vortex and I start emailing people and calling people. And it became pretty clear that this was a story that was connected to a lot of big things. It was connected to how Americans grow food. And when we talk about nuts in America, it sounds like a distant story. California grows 80% of the world's nuts, right? So those nuts, you've eaten unless you have a nut allergy, in which case you should avoid them. So it was a story that like, it takes place in a certain location, but it affects everything. And actually, once you start opening up the door of exactly who is stealing $10 million worth of nuts, you got to look at trucking, you got to look at farming, you got to look at what the impact on the earth is. And it struck me that this very strange crime, and I'm obsessed with very strange crimes, opens up a doorway. And it's a doorway that makes you question how our food is grown. And as soon as I worked that out, I was like, yep, there's a podcast there. And amazingly... Like, no one is more shocked than me that I convinced Audible to let me go make it. So you've worked across TV, print, and radio. How did podcasting come about? Um, Yeah, so actually, funnily, podcasting has been a part of my life since pretty early on. So I started in um, in community radio in Sydney, and I was the, the movie guy there before I went to Triple J. And I was part of the team that helped setting up podcasts for FBI. And then when I was hired by Triple J, the way they actually managed to pay me was that I'd do these movie reviews, but to actually keep me on staff was my job was to cut up all the podcasts for Triple J. So podcasting has weirdly been a part of my life 
like not publicly, but it's been a part of my, my life since, you know, since I started broadcasting. I, you know, it's funny, I had heard, you know, I'd been doing the movie reviewing stuff and I went off and started doing the feed on SBS and these other TV show stuff, Hungry Beast at the ABC. And I'd done all that stuff. But in that time, podcasting went from being cut up radio shows and, you know, no disrespect to us, but three dudes in a room talking with microphones, love that genre. But, you know, it went from being that to suddenly the people were telling really interesting narrative stories and all of this great storytelling was coming out and it was breaking a lot of the molds of what we expected. It was opening up doorways for people that couldn't make TV or film documentaries. Suddenly all of this exploded. And I think a lot of that, you know, we, we talk about how important Serial is in that mix and that is important. I've never actually listened to Serial. <laughs> I'm like the only guy that hasn't. But there were all these other things that were coming out and I was like, that's cool. That's interesting. So yeah, I, it had been something that I'd been wanting to do. <laughs> the short version of that ludicrous story is it's been something I'd been wanting to do for a while. What would your advice be to someone looking to start a podcast? The question that you want to answer is what is it that you can do that nobody else can do? I'm not the first person in the world to make quirky investigations. I think pretty sure Louis Theroux's got the got the dibs on that one. I'm not the first person. But the way I do it is uniquely me. Now, whether people like that or not, separate issue. That's 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 a thing I can't control. But I do know that the way I approach it and the way I'm interested in telling stories, that's very unique to me. So having a clear sense of why you should be the one to do it and how you want to do it that differentiates it from what already exists, that's not just a worthwhile question for you. It's almost always going to be a question that comes up in the commissioning round, whether you're working with a public broadcaster or SCA or whoever or, you know, or Audible, or Spotify, it doesn't matter. That, that conversation comes up. Why you? Why you and this? So have a think about it early. You know, the reason why Stuff the British Stole works for me is because I started with, I stood and stared at this object that was weirdly linked to my own personal family history, and I'm, I'm the worst ethnic on the planet because I don't know anything about my background as an Indian, and yet here I am. Like, uh, there was something about me that I could make it work, it doesn't have to be some deep emotional personal connection. It can just be like, my take on it is this. And I feel like that hasn't been done before. So just think about, just use that as your starting position. Like, or at the very least, answer it before you go ask somebody for money. The Nut Jobs podcast and audiobook is on Audible for $2.99. The Last Voyage of the Pong Su by five-time Walkley winner Richard Baker, which follows the dramatic sea chase of the North Korean cargo ship, the Pong Su. This ship was involved in an Asian crime syndicate which tried to smuggle 150 kilos of heroin into Australia and includes never-heard-before details from the Australian Federal Police and even the North Korean crew. How did you find the story and when did you think it was a podcast? I was familiar with the story, obviously, when the Pong Su sort of... Uh, there was some dramatic footage back in 2003 and I come from sort of down that way along or near the Great Ocean Road there and I remember, you know, a lot of people and friends and stuff who still live down there in Lawn and, and other places um, talking about it at the time and, you know, making the T-shirts and the yeah. bumper stickers and all of that sort of stuff. It was a really big deal. My sister-in-law was, you know, she was the, the girl in the, the real estate agency that she had, she was a witness in the case because they tried to rent a house off her and just things like that. So I'd always been entertained and intrigued by the story and then 
Yeah, sort of been gnawing away at me and oh, far out. There's a, there's a really good story here. Like it's, yeah, you know, it's been done at one level, but we could really, you know, turn this inside out. And the key was getting the um, access to all that AFP electronic surveillance information and other things, and then getting the buy-in from, you know, from Des Appleby, who was the senior investigator there, was just fantastic. Got to go to Hong Kong and spend a couple of days with him and interviewing him. And then on the other side, you know, Jack Dalziel was a suburban solicitor who felt sorry for these guys and sent them a, a fax or something to say, you need a lawyer, this is yeah. to the North Korean embassy. And then two weeks later, these, these men in black suits rock up and say, did you, did you send this letter? He was terrific. So one of these things was, I think, one of the things I feel in these things, if it's meant to be, it kind of happens. And then even, if, you know, in our last episode, episode 10, where... I got to speak to to Wong, who was the other guy in the dinghy who did survive just before he left Australia from um, immigration detention after he'd served 16 years for heroin. And of course I would have loved to speak to him. I had no idea where he was or what was happening until another guy I knew through journalism who'd been in prison. Yeah. I was having a coffee with him and just telling him about the Pong Su and said, you wouldn't happen to come across a few of these guys during your time inside. And... You know, he was their, their next door cellmate and helping them with English and, and their, their, their legal issues and things like that. And, you know, that, that, that nailed it for me in terms of what this was meant to be. So you've got the concept, you've got the buy-in, you've got the characters basically lined up. Who do you have to pitch it to? What happens next? Okay, so internally, it's, it's obviously a big uh, commitment of resources because pretty much if I sign on to do one of these, it takes me out full-time for four to six months you know you get the odd you'll do the odd other thing but but it's it's pretty intense you need the travel budget if you need to travel you've got your ep and then you know your our consultants who you know i've worked with siobhan who i mentioned before and kate cole adams who's a former age colleague and just a, a genius on story structure and and things like that and rachel dexter is a friend and colleague at the age and she was an ep of pong su and also a producer on wrong skin and came out with me bush and did a lot of recording there so you got it you, you get your little team and you get your editorial or management support obviously for the resources to build that team um, one thing we did differently with pong su was i had an idea you know one of the criticisms or question marks about podcasting and particularly podcasting in big media companies is does it make any money well yeah build you an audience but does it make any money so i wanted to prove it could make money so i went out and got a, a sponsor as well and saw some synergy with the great ocean road and drugs and things like that and went to victoria's transport accident commission which obviously does a lot of campaigning uh on you know safe driving not driving under the influence of drugs all that sort of stuff and said there's some really good synergy here I know you do a lot of advertising in print and radio and TV. Why don't you try a podcast for something different? And so brought that to the table and, you know, then our commercial guys sort of did the all the fiddly stuff with that, but sort of found that synergy and that brought in revenue to make the, you know, make it a profitable enterprise, which is I was really pleased that, you know, we we're able to do that and prove a point. And then, then you just get doing. The Last Voyage of the Pong Su is available wherever you get your podcasts. And if you go to The Age or the Sydney Morning Herald websites, there's a bunch of background information to augment the story. Check it out. Now, these four shows are just a small sample of the plethora of true crime podcasts out there in the world. Whether you listen to true crime for the storyline, the adrenaline or the fear, 
our obsession with true crime podcasts is real and shared by millions. Tune in for the next four episodes to hear the remainder of these interviews so we can close the case on why people are obsessed with true crime podcasts. Thanks for listening. See you later, guys.